It's Sunday, July 30th, 2023, and you're listening to Reading With My Brothers. Hey brother, it's Dave. Thanks for tuning in. I wanted to apologize for a little bit of the delay in putting out this episode. My goal is to have episodes ready for you on Sunday morning so you can enjoy them when you have time during your week. But this weekend was a little busy with some family stuff, and so I wasn't able to get to it. But my goal is to have something for you at least once a week, usually on Sunday mornings. So this episode is coming out, Lord willing, Sunday night. And then I'll have another episode coming out later in the week because of the way the sections that we're reading line up. The next section after the ones we do today are, it's a little bit longer. And so it needs a kind of a standalone 15-minute episode by itself. So that should be coming towards the end of the week. But today we have sections four, five, and six of chapter four of The Godly Man's Picture by Thomas Watson. Again, uh, the chapter divisions, I'm using the Banner of Truth 2021 uh, edition of the book. The chapters we are looking at today are that a godly man is a man who is like God. A godly man is careful about the worship of God. And a godly man serves God and not men. That's our topic for today. I hope it's a blessing to you. Let's get started. Section four. A godly man is like God. He has the same judgment as God. He thinks of things as God does. He has a godlike disposition. He partakes of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1.4. A godly man bears God's name and image. Godliness is God-likeness. It is one thing to profess God and another thing to resemble him. A godly man is like God in holiness. Holiness is the most brilliant pearl in the king of heaven's crown. Glorious in holiness, Exodus 15.11. God's power makes him mighty. His mercy makes him lovely but his holiness makes him glorious. The holiness of God is the intrinsic purity of his nature and his abhorrence of sin. A godly man bears some kind of analogy with God in this. He has the holy oil of consecration upon him. Aaron, the saint of the Lord, Psalm 106, 16. Holiness is the badge and livery of Christ's people, the people of thy holiness, Isaiah 63, 18. The godly are a holy as well as a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9. Nor have they only a frontispiece of holiness, like the Egyptian temples, which were fair outside, but they are like Solomon's temple, which had gold inside. They have written upon their heart, holiness to the Lord. The holiness of the saints consists in their conformity to God's will, which is the rule and pattern of all holiness. Holiness is a man's glory. Aaron put on garments For glory and for beauty, Exodus 28, verse 2. So when a person is invested with the embroidered garment of holiness, it is for glory and beauty. The goodness of a Christian lies in his holiness, as the goodness of the air lies in its clarity, the worth of gold in its purity. Question. In what do the godly reveal their holiness? Answer. Number one. In hating the garment spotted by the flesh. Jude verse 23. The godly set themselves against evil, both in purpose and in practice. They are fearful of that which looks like sin, 1 Thessalonians 5, 22. 
The appearance of evil may prejudice a weak Christian. If it does not defile a man's own conscience, it may offend his brother's conscience. And to sin against him is to sin against Christ, 1 Corinthians 8, 12. A godly man will not go as far as he may, lest he go further than he should. He will not swallow all that others, bribed with promotion, may plead for. It is easy to put a golden color on rotten material. Number two, in being advocates for holiness. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. Psalm 119.46 When piety is calumniated in the world, the saints will stand up in its defense. They will wipe the dust of a reproach off the face of religion. Holiness defends the godly, and they will defend holiness. It defends them from danger, and they will defend it from disgrace. Use number one. How can those who are unlike God be reputed to be godly? They have nothing of God in them, not one shred of holiness. They call themselves Christians, but blot out the word holiness. You may as well call day call it day at midnight. So impudent are some that they boast they are none of the holy ones. Is it not the spirit of holiness which marks off the sheep of Christ from the goats? Ye were sealed or marked with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. And is it a matter for men to boast of that they have none of the Spirit's earmark upon them? Does not the Apostle say that without holiness no man shall see the Lord? Hebrews 12, 14. Such as bless themselves in their unholiness had best go and ring the bells for joy that they shall never see God. There are others who hate holiness. Sin and holiness never meet, but they fight. Holiness discharges its fire of zeal against sin and sin spits its venom of malice at holiness. Many pretend to love Christ as a savior, but hate him as he is the Holy One, Acts 3.14. Use number two, let us strive to be like God in holiness. Number one, this is God's great design he drives on in the world. It is the object of the word preached. The silver drops of the sanctuary are to water the seed of grace and make a crop of holiness spring up. What use is there in the promises if not to bribe us to holiness? What are all God's providential dispensations for but to promote holiness? As the Lord makes use of all the seasons of the year, frost and heat, to produce the harvest, so all prosperous and adverse providences are for the promoting of the work of holiness in the soul. What is the object of the mission of the Spirit but to make the heart holy? When the air is unwholesome by reason of fog or mist, the wind is a fan to winnow and purify the air. So the blowing of God's Spirit upon the heart is to purify it and make it holy. Number two, the ho holiness is that alone which God is delighted with. When Tamerlane was presented with a pot of gold, he asked whether the gold had his father's stamp upon it. But when he saw it was the Roman stamp, he rejected it. Holiness is God's stamp and impress. If he does not see this stamp upon us, he will not own us. Number three, holiness fits us for communion with God. Communion with God is a paradox to the men of the world. Not everyone who hangs about the court speaks with the king. We may approach God in duties and, as it were, hang about the court of heaven, yet not have communion with God. That which keeps up the intercourse with God is holiness. 
The holy heart enjoys much of God's presence. He feels heartwarming and heart-comforting virtue in an ordinance. Where God sees his likeness, there he gives his love. Section 5. A godly man is very exact and careful about the worship of God. The Greek word for godly signifies a true worshiper of God. A godly man reverences divine institutions and is more for the purity of worship than the pomp. Mixture in sacred things is like a dash in the wine, which, though it gives it a color, yet only adulterates it. The Lord wanted Moses to make the tabernacle according to the pattern showed thee in the mount, Exodus 25:40. If Moses had left out anything in the pattern or added anything to it, it would have been very provocative. The Lord has always given testimonies of his displeasure against such as have corrupted his worship. Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire, other than God had sanctified on the altar, and fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Whatever is not of God's own appointment in his worship, he looks upon as strange fire. And no wonder he is so highly incensed at it, for it is as if God were not wise enough to appoint the manner in which he will be served. Men will try to direct him, and as if the rules for his worship were defective, they will attempt to correct the copy and superadd their inventions. A godly man dare not vary from the pattern which God has shown him in the scripture. This is probably not the least reason why David was called a man after God's own heart, because he kept the springs of God's worship pure, and in matters sacred did not superinduce anything of his own devising. Use. By this characteristic we may test ourselves, whether we are godly. Are we careful about the things of God? Do we observe that mode of worship which has the stamp of divine authority upon it? It has dangerous consequences to make a medley in religion. Number one, those who will add to one part of God's worship will be as ready to take away from another. Laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, Mark 7 verse 8. They who will bring in a tradition will in time lay aside a command. This the papists are very guilty of. They bring in altars and crucifixes and lay aside the second commandment. They bring in oil and cream in baptism and leave out the cup in the Lord's Supper. They bring in praying for the dead and lay aside the reading of scriptures intelligibly to the living. Those who will introduce into God's worship that which he has not commanded will be as ready to blot out that which he has commanded. Number two, those who are for outward commixtures in God's worship are usually regardless of the vitals of religion. Living by faith, leading a strict, mortified life, these things are of less concern to them. Wasps have their cones, but no honey in them. The religion of many may be likened to those ears which all run to straw. Number three, superstition and profanity kiss each other. Has it not been known that those who have kneeled at a pillar have reeled against a post? Number four. Such as are devoted to superstition are seldom or never converted. Quote, Publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Matthew 21, 31. This was spoken to the chief priests who were great formalists. And the reason why such persons are seldom wrought upon savingly is because they have a secret antipathy to the power of godliness. The snake has a fine color, 
but it has a sting. So outwardly, men may look zealous and devout, but retain a sting of hatred in their hearts against goodness. Hence, it is they who have been most hot on superstition have been most hot on persecution. The Church of Rome wears white linen, an emblem of innocence, but the Spirit of God paints her out in scarlet. Revelation 17.4 Why is this? Not only because she puts on a scarlet robe, but because her body is of a scarlet dye, having imbrued her hands in the blood of the saints. Revelation 17.6 Let us then, as we would show ourselves to be godly, keep close to the rule of worship, and in the things of Jehovah go no further than we can say, it is written. Section 6. A godly man is a servant of God, not a servant of men. This characteristic has two distinct branches. I shall speak of both in order. A. A godly man is a servant of God. We are the servants of the God of heaven, Ezra 5.11, or Epaphras, a servant of Christ, Colossians 4.12. Question. In what sense is a godly man a servant of God? Answer, in seven respects. Number one, a servant leaves all others and confines himself to one master. So a godly man leaves the service of sin and betakes himself to the service of God, Romans 6, 22. Sin is a tyrannizing thing. A sinner is a slave when he sins with most freedom. The wages which sin gives may deter us from its service. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. Here is damnable pay. A godly man enlists himself in God's family and is one of his menial servants. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant. Psalm 116, verse 16. David repeats himself as if he had said, Lord, I have given my pledge. No one else can lay claim to me. My ear is bored to thy service. Number two, a servant is not independent at his own disposal, but at the disposal of his master. A servant must not do what he pleases, but be at the will of his master. Thus, a godly man is God's servant. He is wholly at God's disposal. He has no will of his own. Thy will be done on earth. Some will say to the godly, why cannot you behave like others? Why will you not drink or swear or profane the Sabbath as others do? The godly are God's servants. They must not do what they want, but be under the rules of the family. They must do nothing but what they can show their master's authority for. Number three, a servant is bound. There are covenants and indentures sealed between him and, the, and his master. Thus, there are indentures drawn in baptism, and in conversion, the indentures are renewed and sealed. There, we bind ourselves to God to be his sworn servants. I have sworn, and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. Psalm 119, verse 106. A godly man has tied himself to the Lord by vow, and he makes conscience of his vow. He would rather die by persecution than live by perjury. Psalm 56, verse 12. Number four. A servant not only wears his master's livery, but does his work. Thus a godly man works for God. St. Paul spent and was spent for Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15. He worked harder than all the other apostles. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. A godly man is active for God to his last breath. 
even to the end, Psalm 119, verse 12. Only the dead rest from their labors, Revelation 14, 13. Number five, a servant follows his master. Thus, a godly man is a servant of God. While others wonder after the beast, he follows after the lamb, Revelation 13, 3 and 14, 4. He wants to tread in the steps of Christ. If a master leaps over hedge and ditch, the servant will follow him. A godly man will follow Christ through afflictions. If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 9.23 Peter wanted to follow Christ on the water. A godly man will follow Christ, though it is death every step. He will keep his goodness when others are bad. As all the water in the salt sea cannot make the fish salt, but they still retain their freshness. So all the wickedness in the world cannot make a godly man wicked, but he still retains his piety. He will follow Christ in the worst times. Number six, a servant is satisfied with his master's allowance. He does not say, I will have such provisions made ready. If he has shortcomings, he does not find fault. He knows he is a servant and accepts his master's carving. In this sense, a godly man is God's servant. He's willing to live on God's allowance. If he has only some leftovers, he does not grumble. Paul knew he was a servant. Therefore, whether more or less fell to his share, he was indifferent. Philippians 4.11 When Christians complain at their condition, they forget that they are servants and must live on the allowance of their heavenly master. You who have the least bit from God will die in his debt. Number seven. A servant will stand up for the honor of his master. He cannot hear his master reproached, but will vindicate his credit. Thus, every godly man will stand up for the honor of his master, Christ. My zeal hath consumed me. Psalm 119, verse 139. A servant of God stands up for his truths. Some can hear God's name reproached and his ways spoken against, yet remain silent. God will be ashamed of such servants and reject them before men and angels. Use. Let us declare ourselves godly by being servants of the Most High God. Consider. Number one. God is the best master. He is punctilious in all his promises. There is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise. 1 Kings 8, verse 23 and 56. God is of a most sweet, gracious disposition. He has this quality that he is slow to anger and ready to forgive. Psalm 103.8 and 86.5. In our wants, he relieves us. In our weakness, he pities us. He reveals his secrets to his servants. Psalm 25, verse 14. Proverbs 3, verse 32. He waits on his servants. Was there ever such a master? Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Luke 12, verse 37. When we are sick, he makes our bed that will make all his bed in his sickness. Psalm 41, verse 3. He holds our head when we are fainting. Other masters may forget their servants and cast them off when they are old, but God wilt not. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. Isaiah 44, 21. It is a slander to say, God is a hard master. Number two, 
God's service is the best service. There are six privileges in God's service. Number one, freedom. Though the saints are bound to God's service, yet they serve him freely. God's spirit, who is called a free spirit, Psalm 51 verse 12, makes them free and cheerful in obedience. The spirit carries them on the wings of delight. He makes duty a privilege. He does not force, but draw. He enlarges the heart in love and fills it with joy. God's service is perfect freedom. Honor. David the king professed himself one of God's pensioners. I am thy servant, Psalm 143, verse 12. St. Paul, when he wants to blaze his coat of arms and set forth his best heraldry, does not call himself Paul, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, or Paul of the tribe of Benjamin, but, but Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Theodosius thought it a greater dignity to be God's servant than to be emperor. Christ himself, who is equal with his father, is nevertheless not ashamed of the title servant. Isaiah 53, verse 11. Every servant of God is a son, every subject a prince. It is more honor to serve God than to have kings serve us. The angels in heaven are servants of the saints on earth. Safety. God takes care of his saints. He gives them protection. Thou art my servant, fear not, for I am with thee. Isaiah 41, verses 9 and 10. God hides his servants. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. Psalm 27, 5. That is, he shall keep me safe as in the most holy place of the sanctuary where none but the priests might enter. Christ's wings are both for healing and for hiding, for curing and securing us. Malachi 4, 2. The devil and his instruments would soon devour the servants of God if he did not set an invisible guard about them and cover them with the golden feathers of his protection. Psalm 91, verse 4. I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Acts 18, verse 10. God's watchful eye is always on his people, and the enemies shall not do the mischief they intend. They shall not be destroyers, but physicians. Gain. Atheists say it's vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinances? Malachi 3, verse 14. Besides the advantages which God gives in this life, sweet peace of conscience, he reserves his best wine till last. He gives a glorious kingdom to his servants. Hebrews 12, verse 28. The servants of God may for a while be kept under and abused, but they shall have promotion at last. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. John 12, 26. Assistance. Other masters cut out work for their servants, but do not help them in their work. But our master in heaven gives us not only work, but strength. Thou strengthens me, but strengthen my soul. Psalm 138, verse 3. God bids us serve him, and he will enable us to serve him. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Ezekiel 36, verse 27. The Lord not only fits work for us, but fits us for our work. With his command, he gives power. Finally, supplies. A master will not let his servants be in want. God's servants shall be provided for. Verily thou shalt be fed. Psalm 37 verse 3. Does God give us a Christ? And will he deny us a crust? The God which fed me all my life long, Genesis 48, verse 15. If God does not give us what we crave, he will give us what we need. The wicked 
who are dogs are fed. Philippians 3 verse 2. If a man feeds his dog, surely he will feed his servant. Oh, then who would not be in love with God's service? Number three, we are engaged to serve God. We are bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 This is a metaphor taken from such as ransom captives from prison by paying a sum of money for them. They are to be at the service of those who ransom them. So when the devil has taken us prisoners, Christ ransomed us with a price, not, with, not of money, but of blood. Therefore, we are to be only at his service. If any can lay a better claim to us than Christ, we may serve them. But Christ having the best right to us, we are to cleave to him and enroll ourselves forever in his service. Section B. A godly man is not the servant of men. Be not ye the servants of men. 1 Corinthians 7.23 Question. But is there no service we owe to men? Answer. There is a threefold serving of men. Number one, there is a civil service we owe to men, as the inferior to the superior. The servant is a living tool, as Aristotle says. Servants, obey your masters. Ephesians 6.5 There is a religious service we owe to men when we are serviceable to their souls. Your servants for Jesus' sake, 2 Corinthians 4.5 Three, there is a sinful serving of men. This consists of three things. Number one, when we prefer men's injunctions before God's institutions. God commands one thing, man commands another. God says, sanctify the Sabbath, man says, profane it. When men's edicts have more force with us than God's precepts, this is to be the servants of men. Two, when we voluntarily prostitute ourselves to the impure lusts of men, we let them lord it over our consciences. When we are pliable and conformable to anything, either Arminian or atheist, for either the gospel or the Quran, when we will be what others will have us be, then we are just like Issachar, who is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. Genesis 49.14 This is not humility, but sordidness, and it is men-serving. Three, when we are advocates in a bad cause, pleading for an impious, unjustifiable act. When we baptize sin with the name of religion, and with our oratory wash the devil's face, this is to be the servants of men. In these cases, a godly person will not so unman himself as to serve men. He says, like Paul, if I, I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ, Galatians 1.10. And like Peter, we ought to obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. Use. How many leagues distant from godliness are those who serve men, who either for fear of punishment or from hope of promotion comply with the sinful commands of men, who will put their conscience under any yoke and sail with any wind that blows profit? These are the servants of men. They have abjured their baptismal vow and renounced the Lord who bought them. To the one who is such a Proteus as to change into any form, and bow as low as hell to please men, I would say two things. One, you who have learned all your postures, who can cringe and tack about, how will you look Christ in the face another day? When you say on your deathbed, Lord, look on your servant, Christ shall disclaim you and say, my servant? No, you renounced my service. 
You were a servant of men. Depart from me. I do not know you. What a cold shoulder this will be at that day. 2. What does a man get by sinfully enslaving himself? He gets a blot on his name, a curse on his estate, a hell in his conscience. No, even those that he basely stoops to will scorn and despise him. How the high priests kicked off Judas. See thou to that, Matthew 27, 4. That we may not be the servants of men, let us abandon fear and advance faith, Esther 8, 17. Faith is a world-conquering grace, 1 John 5, 4. It overcomes the world's music and crucible. It steals a Christian with divine courage and makes him stand immovable like a rock in the midst of the sea. All right, well, that's our reading for today. I hope it was an encouragement to you. I hope it was challenging to you and it gives you something to think about this week. So let's close out with a quick word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we get to read this good book together and think about what it means to be a godly man. Help us to recognize that we should be seeking to be like you in our words and actions, and that in doing so, we are, are seeking to be your servant in truth, that we wouldn't compromise or mix our worship of you with anything else, with human desires or human cunning, and that we would seek to follow you and not bow or scrape to the wills of men, to the, to the will of the crowd, for the, the goal of impressing others. As, as our brother Paul says, if we want to be a servant of men, we cannot be Jesus' servant. So I pray that my brother and I would walk faithfully this week, that we would seek to be your servants in truth, and that we would not consider uh, the, the allure and the temptation to obey men as, as anything that can possibly compare to the privilege and the goal and the reward of obeying Christ. Help us to walk faithfully as we ought. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, brother. Go forth in faith as a servant of Jesus Christ. I'll talk to you later.